Good morning, Urban Village. My name is Lija. My pronouns are he, him, his, and I'm so happy to be serving as one of your student pastors. Thank you for joining me this morning for worship. I'm excited to be introducing a new sermon series today, which we're calling Now What? Take Two. As you might gather from the title and subtitle, we're coming back to a topic that we introduced about a year ago when we had just begun quarantining. What does it mean to live faithfully in the face of a new and uncertain future? Today, we're asking the same question, but with a different future in mind. What'll it be like to return to in-person gatherings in our work and our personal lives? How will we feel? How long will it take? What will be joyous and what will be nervous and what will be hard? As we did a year ago, I'm hopeful we can turn once again to the scriptures, and especially the stories of early Christians who were asking, like we are, in the weeks after Jesus' resurrection, now what? In them and their stories, we find wisdom, care, and resurrection for whatever comes next together. The story of Thomas and Jesus that we heard today comes from the Gospel of John and is probably familiar to many of you as the origin of the disciples' less than affectionate moniker, Doubting Thomas. Oftentimes, this story is interpreted as an exhortation for us so many years after Jesus' death and resurrection to remain steadfast in our faith, which has not witnessed the miracle of resurrection firsthand. Or, the story is used to emphasize the importance of a physical reality of resurrection. It's worth noting that this is the only place in the Gospels in which the wounds of Jesus are attested to after the resurrection. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, Jesus does appear to his disciples and invites them to touch him and see his flesh and bones. However, there is no textual indication that his body is still wounded in that story from his crucifixion. In today's version from John, however, Thomas's fixation on Jesus' wounds and Jesus' invitation to him to investigate them by putting his hand in or into his side, the Greek preposition here is ace, leaves the wound's presence to be unambiguous. These wounds, therefore, are an important feature of our story today and invites us to consider the story through a different lens, the lens of trauma, to see what we might learn about what it means to be hurt and therefore what it means to be healed. Before we go further, I want to take a moment to be a little bit more specific about what we mean when we talk about trauma. As the feminist theologian Serene Jones describes in the introduction of her book, Trauma and Grace, trauma derives from the parallel ancient Greek word trauma, which referred specifically to a wound or injury inflicted upon the body by an act of violence. However, contemporary trauma studies have extended this application to the mind and emotions focusing on the effects of violence on our vast interior worlds. There are a couple of important features of trauma that I want to highlight as well. First, 
Events can be traumatic not only for those who are experiencing them directly, but also for those who witness them. Secondly, traumatic events are also not necessarily one-time catastrophic things. They can also be repeated events of a lower intensity. Most importantly, however, as the prominent trauma psychologist Bessel van der Kolk notes in his seminal work, The Body Keeps the Score, trauma is stored in somatic memory and expresses at changes in the biological stress response. What this means is that our physical bodies remember and can relive the physiological responses that we've experienced in the midst of traumatic events. This happens in ways that are often beyond our conscious regulation and understanding. And these responses can be triggered and reignited by seemingly innocent stimuli in our everyday lives. In my own life, I've experienced this most profoundly in response to racist bullying that I experienced as a kid. This and other forms of oppression call into question the very essence of one's self-worth. After a lifetime of struggling to prove this to myself or to others, it's hard sometimes not to feel like every single part of my life is a total valuation, judgment of my being. My body remembers and re-experiences sometimes the suffering that it endured whenever this question was asked. What then does this understanding of trauma mean for healing? The location of trauma in our bodies means we can't simply overcome it by any single intellectual ascent, looking at things the right way or understanding the situation correctly. Trauma persists in the memory of our bodies, and healing does not mean to erase or undo these pasts. Instead, healing begins when we acknowledge and accept this memory understanding that pain and suffering can stay with us in profound ways. I've also struggled tremendously in my own experience, trying to simply let go of the suffering I've endured, or finding ways to undo the hurt, and then subsequently feeling guilt and shame for not being able to do so. It's only after learning to accept these experiences as they are that I've been able to find peace as my sense of self is newly, continuously, and holistically affirmed in deep embodied ways with all of its pains and wounds. Likewise, Jesus's body in today's story testifies without a doubt to this same principle. Even the resurrected body of Christ is one that still possesses the marks of the great suffering which he endured on the cross. His healing is not the restoration to a prior form, which would be an erasure, an undoing, in some ways a denial of his body and self and the experience of the cross. Rather, his resurrected body is a transformation, with all of his scars and wounds into something different, something new, yet something perfect. It symbolizes a transformation of the certainty of suffering into the possibility of hope. And it's precisely what makes the resurrection so radical and triumphant.
It wouldn't be outrageous to say that this past year of life during the pandemic has been an unprecedented collective trauma. We've all experienced massive ongoing disruptions to our routines and the fabric of our communal being. Unable to gather together or hold one another, to partake in our favorite activities and locales, to see one another as sources of great joy and comfort rather than potential danger. We've been bewildered by the uncertainty and perpetuity of these circumstances. And some of us have directly experienced profound loss and grief, knowing people who have been affected by COVID. The grace that I hope we may find then with this new understanding of trauma is that healing and recovery from this past year will take time and things may not look the same as they did before. May God allow us grace to accept things and ourselves as they are and not as what we think they ought to be. May God grant us patience with ourselves and with one another as we begin this journey of reopening and healing. As we learn to readjust slowly to the patterns of life that we haven't experienced for some time or ever before. There may be moments where we fall back into patterns of anxiety and worry, maybe if someone close to us coughs or sneezes, or when we're reminded acutely once more of all the losses that we've endured. In those moments, I pray that God may grant us awareness and peace, understanding that these responses are often outside our control and embracing them so that we may be transformed through and beyond them. I want to conclude our reflection today by turning our gaze for a moment to Thomas, at first glance, Jesus' wounds seem to be the center of the story. But we might notice that Jesus isn't the only one traumatized here. Thomas is clearly experiencing great suffering as well. As the passage notes, Thomas is also called Didymus, or twin, and scholars have speculated that this may refer to his particularly close relationship with Jesus. Indeed, earlier in the Gospel, Thomas bravely asserts that he and the other apostles ought to follow Jesus, even unto death. Let us also go, Thomas says in John eleven sixteen, that we may die with him. How must Thomas feel, then, knowing that he was not there when Jesus returned, perhaps having run away, overwhelmed by Jesus' suffering and death, and having been unable to follow. And what does it mean for Thomas in this moment to be fixated on Jesus's wounds rather than his resurrection as a whole? I think we might infer that Thomas isn't struggling so much with the fact of resurrection, but with the fact of crucifixion, an event no less traumatic to Jesus than it was to those who witnessed it. In Thomas's traumatized state, he believes that what might help him is some certainty about what happened, about what is true. If I can put my hands in Jesus's side and know what happened for sure, I can find certainty, acceptance, control. What the gospel tells us, however, is that this is not the solution. 
Indeed, it's not clear from the text or agreed upon in historical interpretation whether or not Thomas actually touches Jesus. What is certain, however, is that they speak to one another and are once again present with each other. I believe that what brings Thomas any kind of peace in this moment is in fact the presence of Jesus, their relationship and the interaction they're able to have here, even if only temporarily. What this might reveal for us then is that healing in this moment from the pandemic or in the larger arc of God's redemptive work in creation. Healing is always relational. Whenever we are healed and restored, we are never made whole by ourselves alone, but always in connection and community with one another and with God. The way though we may not erase the sense of alienation that we've experienced this past year with time, I pray that God may transform it into a new commitment to the collective unity of humankind, the fragility and the sanctity of which this past year has so clearly revealed. May God help us to reclaim our sense of belonging to one another. This year has been a long and difficult time. But praise be to God that we are slowly seeing the beginnings of deliverance, the slowing of cases, the increasing availability of vaccines. Yet, just as with the resurrection and the renewal of creation, the work and healing of reopening will take time, and the world will not be the same. Just as we partake with patience, grace, and hope in the ongoing process of salvation into which we have been invited by God, so too let us thrive and subsist in these same things for ourselves and our world as we create together a new reality after COVID. Let us be rooted in the knowledge that no matter how hard things are, no matter how deadly things may seem, the power of Jesus can and will triumph and resurrect us. The love of God will transform us, restoring us to one another and to God in the beauty and glory of a new life. Amen.